Hey everyone, welcome to the ROSC podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a little thing called ego depletion. Now, before we get to it, I mentioned this in the last episode, and I'm going to mention it again. In the description of the podcast is a link. That link will lead you to a prototype for a tool that I'm designing for you all. But what I need from you is your feedback. If you click on this link, it's going to lead you to a PDF of a sheet. That is a template for a journal I'm working on called Debrief. It's a template that helps you as sort of a guided journal to help you record certain thoughts and ideas and emotions and feelings that you have in an effort to put them on a page and help you track them over time. Now, the other thing I'm going to be adding to this is some form of free text for you to be able to write out more thoughts you might have. But it's designed in a way that will allow you to solely use this once a day, once a week, however often you want to do it, ideally once a day. And it's free for you right now. The first 100 people to email podcast at rosk.life with their thoughts, their feedback, their input or support will get a free copy of Debrief when it publishes. So go to the description below, click the link, see if you like it, print it out, use it every day if you want. And let me know what you think. Anyway, on to the episode. So this idea of ego depletion, what is ego depletion? The interesting thing about this, and actually I've mentioned this before about the podcasts that I record being so much further along after the blog post related to it is written. And this serves a couple of benefits. And in this case, it serves a new benefit. The typical benefits are I have some time to sort of you know, have more experiences and then come back to the topic to then add to it. Um, Another is that I let certain thoughts kind of percolate around that idea and then it gives me a a different insight as well. But the other is that it allows me to forget the topic and then reread it or proofread it and critique it. And in this case, my understanding has evolved to something different, but it's also changed to what's actually correct. Let me explain. In the blog post, we talk about ego depletion having to do with the ego as you and I know it, that self-identity, that desire to protect the ego because it's sort of tied to your self-esteem. That's not exactly what it is. Let's go back and understand what ego depletion is because in reality, it's actually a self-explanatory term. But in order to understand what ego depletion is, you got to understand what the ego is. And so we're talking about ego, not in the colloquial sense, but in the psychoanalytical sense. Now, whether or not that is established to be fact in your mind or theory, or it's just an analogy, whatever you might feel, the the commonality or the important thing to understand is what ego is referring to. What ego is referring to is sort of that complement to the id. It's not your primitive sort of unfiltered, so to speak, behaviors or actions or thought patterns. It is the part of you that interacts with the world. It's your self-identity relative to the external environment. So it does somewhat relate to the colloquial sense of the word ego, but in the pure psychoanalytical sense, it is the way you interact with the world around you, to put it simply. And so that requires a certain amount of effort and energy, and it requires Um, some level of conscientiousness, right? Ego depletion, therefore, quite literally, is when you just run out of that, when you don't have that. And so you could think or you could infer from it that by depleting your ego, you fall to the id. Now, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but the point is 
Therefore, ego depletion is when you reach those moments where you no longer have the capacity mentally, cognitively to be able to continue to exert effort to interact with the expectations or the inputs of the external environment. To put it more simply, it's when you reach a point where you're just like, I've had enough. I don't have any more in me. I can't take it anymore. I need to take a break. I need to decompress. I need to unwind. That's what we're talking about when we deal with ego depletion. Now, ego depletion is an extremely important topic because it's not just something that is accepted in the world of performance psychology. It's considered to be a standard. It's established. There's no question about it, or at least there was no question about it. Now think about ego depletion in your own context. Think about when you need to decompress by going for a walk, need to decompress with video games, need to decompress with a glass of wine or going out with friends for a drink or having to smoke a cigarette or whatever other activity or whatever other vice you might have to release that stress of having been in a state of managing your ego and now you're depleted. You don't have any more in you. I need to recharge and reset. This applies to a lot of people when they are unhappy with their current state. And so the advice is usually, well, on your time off, figure out another plan, whether it's a side business or whether it's other things about your, you know, in the case of what we're talking about, finding ways to improve the functioning of teamwork, of team members, of leadership, and all these different things, things that require your effort, your cognitive load, outside of the point at which you're being mandated to manage your ego. And you say, well, I, can't, I mean, I don't have the energy for that. I don't have time for that. I have to deal with this for 12 hours or eight hours on my shift, and then I got to go home. That's my only time to me. I don't have it in me to do that. Insert your own personal experiences there. Now, let's go back to this idea that it's been debunked. So there have been several studies that have been done on the concept of ego depletion or on the theory of ego depletion in order to confirm or to disconfirm the um, established understanding of ego depletion or it, the existence of ego depletion to begin with. And what these studies have shown is that a group of the people in those studies did in fact demonstrate or experience ego depletion. But here's the kicker. There was a commonality among the people who experienced that ego depletion. I'm going to give you a moment to come up with your own answer as to what the commonality was among those people. Did you guess? Well, let's see if you got the right answer because the commonality among the people who experienced ego depletion in these studies was that all of the people who experienced ego depletion went into the study with the already accepted understanding that ego depletion existed. Those who did not experience it did not accept the idea that ego depletion was even a thing. The only ones who experienced ego depletion were the ones who believed you could experience it at all to begin with. That should give you chills. Now, why should this give you chills? It's part exciting and part scary. And this ties into a lot of stuff we've talked about, especially our little old friend, self-accountability. I've actually been thinking about doing an episode purely 
on the raw, unfiltered understanding of self-accountability. Partly because of this topic, partly because, as I've mentioned in other episodes, that I try to keep things more proactive and optimistic and upbeat. But every so often, part of being self-aware and being honest with yourself is you kind of got to drill down on certain things that are harsh realities, and you got to accept it. And if you can't, well, the world's not going to spend its time just coddling you all the time. It actually stems also from interactions that I've had um, in the recent past with certain people that I've worked with who just, they don't have it in them to even understand what the concept of self-accountability is. But we're not going to get into that. That's going to be a whole other episode, but I will make an episode on that for sure. And I think it's going to be very cathartic for me, but uh, also reflective, which is the important. If it's not reflected, then there's no point in doing it. Anyway, how this relates to self-accountability is also the way it relates to certain things we've talked about, like motivation being complete BS or taking the action before the idea implements itself. Action comes before ideas. Action comes before strategies. Action is what dictates personality and behavior and mood, not the other way around, which means in the moments where you're not motivated, the moments where you're hitting a dip, the moments where just, you know, with this podcast, for example, most of you who are listening can probably notice the fact if you haven't already, you will now, that I'm not very consistent with uploading podcasts by the time this one airs. And I tell myself all the time that I need to get on a weekly schedule because I owe it to you, the listener, to have something that is predictable. But every time I get to the point where I should record it, I lose motivation for whatever reason. I hit a dip. And today was no exception. But today what I did was when I wanted to record it, and I said, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. It's not interesting to me right now. I reminded myself that is the signal that you need to do it. When you feel the resistance, that's the indicator that you have to do it. That is my mental trick to remind myself that doing is what gets things done. For example, you can kick and scream all day about how much you hate doing the dishes. And if you kick and scream about how you hate doing the dishes while you scrub each plate and each glass, by the time you're done kicking and screaming, what has happened to the dishes? They're clean. The kicking and the screaming, or not kicking and screaming, didn't get the dishes cleaned. What got the dishes cleaned was cleaning the dishes. It's doing it. It's the action. That's all. So the emotion you feel towards something, the motivation you feel, or the demotivation you feel, doesn't actually have any responsibility in executing on something. What does have responsibility is you deciding to act in the direction of executing on an action. That's it. And that might seem dismissive of when you feel sad or scared or intimidated or demotivated. It might feel like that. But if you have a victim mentality, you'll feel that way. But it also is extremely liberating because what it tells you is I don't have to wait to feel good to do this. In fact, if I do it when I don't feel like doing it, then I give myself two satisfying moments. One is that I executed on the action that I didn't want to, and it moved me closer to the goal. And two, I did it at a time where I otherwise wouldn't have done it. I know this sounds like a tangent. What does that have to do with ego depletion? Well, it is understanding that the action leads to the result. And that if you give yourself a reason to not do something like being demotivated or not having the energy or saying that you need to unwind or you don't have any left in you, giving yourself the excuse 
is what actually brings the excuse into fruition. Kobe Bryant recently, I was listening to uh, an interview of his, and he mentioned something that hit me hard because I do it a lot. He said, don't negotiate with yourself. He was talking about fitness and working out or achieving any goal, as he often talks about. And he mentioned the example of, let's say you're going for a run or going for a workout, and that day you don't feel like completing what you typically would, and so you say, oh, maybe I'll just cut back a little bit and I'll make up for it later. No, not acceptable. You don't negotiate. We don't negotiate with ourselves when it comes to doing the things that have to incrementally build upon each other to lead to the end goal. For two reasons. One, because you decided on it in that moment that you were going to complete these reps. Or you're going to do this thing. That's it. You don't negotiate with that. But the second, not only does it make an excuse for you in that moment, but later on it could make an excuse for you. But even worse, you might look back on that time you negotiated and lose faith in yourself and not even negotiate with yourself later. You just like sort of are disappointed in yourself and you lose the expectation. He's like, oh, I, I didn't do it before, so I'm not going to do like, you know, like, who am I to say I'm going to execute on this now? And you give up on yourself. Someone on social media had mentioned this very interestingly when they talked about, you know, when you show up for a meeting for your boss or when you are mandated to do something for your colleagues or for your team members, you'll do it. You'll set the alarm. You'll wake up early when you're going for an interview. You'll dress a certain way and you'll do the things you need to do to set yourself up for a position that you need to be in, right? Because you have sort of made a promise that that sounds a little bit too soft, but like you know, you, you, you made, you made a promise, right? Like you, you're agreeing with that person to meet with them at that time for this particular reason. There's a sort of inferred code of ethics, code of dress, etc. So why is it we don't show up for when we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And this person posited that it's because you respect the people that you tend to, in terms of being on time, completing the tasks you were asked to complete, dressing the way you're supposed to dress, but you don't do it for yourself and you call into question the respect you have for yourself. Interesting food for thought. Again, how does that relate to ego depletion? This way, the people who experienced ego depletion were the ones who thought it was real to begin with, not just thought, but believed it was real to begin with. Boiling that down into simple terms, it's called giving yourself an excuse. It's called negotiating with yourself. If you don't allow it to exist in your pattern of behavior, then it's just not going to exist because in reality, the tangible thing between the people who didn't experience ego depletion and the people who did was only action. It wasn't the actual ego depletion because we know it doesn't actually exist. But the thing that prevented those who experienced ego depletion from acting at the point where they believed they were in a state of ego depletion was that they thought it was okay to be ego depleted. Not because they actually did deplete their ego, because it doesn't exist. They thought it was okay to set a point where they say, this is where I'm depleted. And I'm willing to bet that all of the people who experienced ego depletion experienced that at different levels, because it's just a matter of when you decide you're going to tap out. But the tapping out only manifests itself as inaction not taking the action. So at the end of the day, all that really mattered was whether action was executed upon or not. That's the output, right? Input equals output. It's a one plus one simple arithmetic calculation. 
whatever the fancy terminology is, at the end of the day, all that mattered is one group of people decided at some arbitrary line to no longer take action towards something. The other group decided to continue to take action. The narrative that each group told themselves or didn't tell themselves is what determined the point at which they would not take the action. Is that making some sense? So to put it even more realistically, if you feel like you've reached a point where you've had enough, you can't take it anymore, you need to decompress, you need to unwind. The only reason you feel that way is because you have already from the beginning told yourself that you at some point are allowed to say that. You've made it okay to say that because you've accepted the belief that everyone reaches that point. So when you act a certain way in a conflict, when the room becomes like a chaotic jungle during a cardiac arrest, when, it hap when it's like a tornado just came through the department during a resuscitation, when you fight with a certain colleague or consultant, when you enter a discussion with somebody or pick up the phone to hand off a patient or pick up the phone to receive handoff on a patient and you've accepted that this is the way it is, that's your ego depletion. You've accepted the premise. It's your responsibility for what happens at that point. But if you decide that, no, that's not that only that's only going to happen because I'm choosing to believe that that will happen based on previous experiences. Now, we won't get into why those occurred. But the fact of the matter is at this moment, there is nothing outside of the forces that I have within me for this interaction, for this event, for this circumstance to occur the way it's expected to occur. If I want it to occur a better way, then I am going to create the input and remove the inputs that contribute to the situation. Create the input that makes it the way I would like it to go or toward how I would like it to go and remove the inputs that make it go the way it always goes. Rather than from the perspective of ego depletion as an analogy, accepting that this is going to be a fecal demonstration to substitute certain profanities, accepting that it's going to be that way. So when it happens, whatever, like it's going to happen. Oh, this sucks. When things like this come in, it always happens this way. That's ego depletion. That is accepting that it's going to turn out that way. And I am very blessed and fortunate to have had multiple situations of cardiac arrests and resuscitations where people will walk by and not even know that a cardiac arrest occurred because the room is handled in a way where expectations are set, not just by me, by everybody in the room. And when I work with those people and when those people work with me, we all have the same expectation. And at that point, we now work towards getting it to that point because we know that's what we should expect. But you notice everybody acts towards that direction. The narrative we put behind it, it helps, but we're putting the narrative there. That's the point. The action is all that matters. It's the output. The difference between the group that experienced ego depletion and the group that didn't is not anything other than in the real world at the end of the day, the action that came out of it. The narrative that existed behind it is what gave a certain group the excuse to not act and the other no excuse to not act. 
That's my interpretation. And that's my lesson that I take from it. So what are the three insights that we take from this? Number one, the idea that our willpower is a finite pool from which we pull is false. Number two, with that understanding, think of a situation in which you would have been depleted and then think of how that narrative would have played out if you weren't depleted. And three, in moments where you feel depleted, task yourself with one more step and see what happens within you and then see what happens in front of you. So for all of the situations in which you might think, yeah, but what about, yeah, but yeah, but this, yeah, but my situation is this. Yeah, well, you, you don't know about this. Everyone has a different situation and nobody can answer for anyone else's circumstance or thought pattern or emotions or fears or anything. But as long as there's someone in the world that has experienced what you've experienced in that situation and has navigated it in a way that's better or at least different from how you did or do, you have a blueprint. You have no excuse. It's all about the narrative you choose to let exist. But the thing that's ultimately important to circle back on the action is what matters. If you're stuck in a thought pattern and you find that thought pattern difficult to break, do not focus on breaking the thought pattern. Focus on the action. When I gave the analogy about washing dishes or when I give the, you know, the examples of when you're in the dip and you take the step, I'm going to give the example of this very podcast you're listening to 10 minutes before turning the record button on. I was standing there not wanting to do it. And I turned around, grabbed the equipment, set it up and said, well, you're doing it because you said you don't want to. You're going to do it because if you don't feel like doing it, you you know that you're still going to do it. And then you'll hit the record button again to stop the recording. And next thing you know, it's done. So what you felt didn't matter. The reason I give all those examples is because at the very least, the bare minimum situation you can do to actually make the change. Ignore the narrative. Just take the step. That's why I mentioned in the third insight. When you feel depleted, task yourself with one more step. That will be proof to you that that ego depletion is not a factor. Even if it exists, even if it's a real thing. If you get to move the goalpost, then what does it even matter? And I'm going to leave with this one last example. And this is a weird one. I'm going to try to put it in a way that makes some sense. Okay, I'm going to put it in a way that actually popped into my brain. And this is going to be such a stupid analogy, such a dumb depiction of the idea. But it's the concept of nature versus nurture. And in this case, we're going to call nature the things, the traits and the personality behaviors that are fixed in you, genetic, cannot be changed. And then there's the nurture portion, which is the stuff that's learned. Now, in the early to mid-90s, there was the debate that, or there wasn't even a debate. It was accepted that neuroplasticity stopped at a certain age, and that was it. Done. You can't develop any more neurons. You can't learn anything new. Whatever you're capable of learning, you're going to learn, and that's it. Intelligence is fixed. That debate opened up, and now it's a matter of how much of what you're made up of is malleable. And here's the thing with that. It, the picture that came into my brain was this image of me being in a room and there's a giant concrete pillar coming through the wall across the room and it's taking up all the space in the room. And my task is to remove that pillar in the room to create space. Now, I don't know how much of that pillar exists outside the room. It could, the, the amount I'm seeing in front of me could be 1% of the pillar, it could be the entire pillar. It could be 0.0001% of the pillar. 
But all I need to do is remove that portion. The rest of it doesn't matter. I can't do anything about it anyway, but it's not the issue at hand. I'm sure that listening to that, you're probably thinking of a much simpler analogy, but I'm just giving you a window into my brain. It's not always a pleasant view, but that was the image that popped into my head. And the reason I'm mentioning that is no matter how much of what's malleable about you is malleable, whether it's 10%, 90%, 1%, 0.0001%, that portion that is malleable is 100% of what you're able to control. So what does it matter? What, like, For one, why focus any of your mental energy on the area that can't be changed when it can't be changed? Put your energy into the portion that can be changed. And the other part of that, which is the more significant thing is, no one ever quantified how much you or I are even made up of when it comes to personality and behavior. So what does 0.0001% even mean? If I told you that the earth makes up 1% of the universe or 0.0000000001% of the universe, you'd probably agree that it's the second, it's 0.0001, right? But in either case, what does it even mean? We don't even have a quantifiable amount of what the universe is. So when you put percentages on something that's already not a fixed amount, like what does it matter if only 0.0001% of me is changeable when I don't even know how much that represents? I know that's getting really weird, but the point of me mentioning that is the fact that ego depletion is giving you this idea that you run out of that ego from the psychoanalytical perspective, that it's a finite pool that we pull from. But it in and of itself is not a, it's not a bucket of water, right? It's still an abstraction of some sort. So even the idea of placing a limit to something that doesn't even exist in a concrete way in and of itself doesn't make sense, which is why I was saying I would be willing to bet that the people who experienced ego depletion probably experienced at all various different levels. And I bet those same people probably experience it at a different level each day. And they might make the excusable. Some days I have more energy than others. But what if we're not talking about like heat energy and like calories, then energy in and of itself, it's like the word luck. Like it doesn't mean anything. And I'm getting a little bit excited about this because it's one of the major portions of accountability, of self-accountability. It's one of the major portions of understanding that if you can break past the mental barrier of, I don't have any more in me. And if you break past it by when you say, I can't do any more, and then you do one more, now it's like you've destroyed the excuses. And it would be interesting to see how many people prevent themselves from taking the extra step just so they don't remove the excuse to not move forward, to not make a change. Think about that the next time you decide to complain about something else that's happening. Think about that the next time you tell yourself, I'm, I'm going to be positive. I'm not going to let this bother me, even though it's actually bothering you. Giving yourself the false sense that you're actually making a difference rather than quietly asking yourself, what step can I take to actually like make this better so that the people around me actually get affected in a positive way and do that action as well, or put it in any situation you want. Let me know what situations you've applied it to. Email it, podcast.ross.life. Let me know what you think. But I am going to calm down because I'm going to start sweating in a moment, and I will see you on the next episode.